Taking you inside the world of music, this is Inside Music Cast with Rick Such and Eddie Cabello. Welcome to Inside Music Cast, a podcast devoted to musicians, fans, and the people that make music happen. I'm Rick Such. And I'm Eddie Cabello. Welcome, everybody, from around the world. And as Rick mentioned, Inside Music Cast is devoted to bringing you candid interviews, news, and information with the musicians, fans, and people that make music happen. That's right. This is the podcast that goes beyond the pop star and features the talent behind the talent. So if you're ready, let's get started. Spend a little time with bassist Chris Kent, and you'll find that he's so much more than a musician. He's also a man who loves life. Born and raised in Portland, Oregon, he moved to Nashville, Tennessee to become one of the busiest first-call bassists for gospel, country, R&B, jazz, and rock artists. He has taken the stage at the Grand Old Opry alongside artists such as Lori Morgan, has toured with guitarist Steve Lukather, Larry Carlton, Kirk Whalem, Take Six, and many more. From The Tonight Show to Jazz Central on BET to Live from the House of Blues, Chris Kent can be found wherever there's a groove to lay down. Join us as he takes us from his first Montgomery Awards bass as a kid, surviving cancer, and ultimately finding his way to a successful career and purpose in life. He'll even play some of his bass grooves and discuss how he builds a bass line. Inside Music Cast welcomes Chris Kent. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Yeah. Hey, Chris, let's dive right in into some of the projects that you've uh, had the pleasure of playing bass on through your career. We've gone pretty much through some of your discography. Uh, well, let me just say this first. When I think of my re- my favorite recording projects, not many live albums are really in it. Yeah. But in your discography, there's actually two records that really stand out that are my favorite. One of them was recorded in the, in Osaka, Japan. Yeah. And you had, the, I guess, uh, the privilege of laying down a groove for Steve uh, Lukather and, and Larry Carton's No yeah, Substitutions. That fun. That's an awesome album. Tell us a little bit about that, would you please? That That is one of my all-time favorite. Me and Rick, um, you know, we can't speak higher about that album. Oh, man. Funny story with that was Luke and Larry were going to go to Japan and do this thing and... and mm-hmm. uh, and then Larry was going to bring half the band, and Luke was going to bring half the band. So Luke <laughs> decided to bring the drummer, which turned out to be Greg Bissonette. Yeah. Right. And uh, and then me and Rick Jackson yeah. uh, came from Larry's end, came from Nashville here. Keyboards, yeah. And uh, Rick Jackson's a great keyboard player. So, oh, yeah. So we uh, we get some work tapes and, and some songs, ideas that we didn't get together and rehearse. I met Luke in the Narita Airport. And, you know, I mean, you know Luke. You guys have talked to him. And <laughs> he's just a great guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that first meeting was just, you know, kind of crazy. But So the first time you met him was at the airport there? In... Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And so uh, we all hooked up there and, and just kind of flew flew into wherever we, our first show was. Yeah. And I think the recording was kind of a last minute. We were having so much fun that the guys decided to bring in a mobile truck Right. And record, but Bissonette was—he had another gig, so he didn't show up till like 20 minutes before downbeat of the first show. Holy cow! We had a uh, there was a sub drummer, Japanese drummer that had an interpreter <laughs> that was there at, at, for sound check, and we ran through a bunch of stuff, and he knew every man. He had it down. Did he really? It sounded great. He was prepared to do the show, and 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 we were sitting backstage after sound check, you know, after dinner, just kind of hanging out. Of course, I'm sweating bullets, nervous, you know, thinking <laughs> I'm playing behind these two guitar guys that are, you know, legendary. And, and uh, sure enough, 
Mr. Net walks in, Cats, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> he made it. <laughs> yeah, so then it was just a whole nother, uh, whole nother level of being nervous with playing with Greg Bissonette, you know, yeah. for the first time and meeting him 20 minutes before the show. And Wow. But uh, we had a great time, though. Well, well speaking of that, how, how much rehearsal? Now, you guys did a series of shows over there, I, I understand. And how much rehearsal time did you have prior to that? I mean, yeah, really. Oh, we we didn't. We <laughs> Really? <laughs> I mean, the, the tunes we played weren't, you know, weren't rocket science, but they evolved over the course of, I mean, I think we we ended up playing like 30, 30 almost 40 shows. Yeah, I knew it was quite a few. Uh, between all the blue notes that are over there, and, and uh, it was quite a while ago, so yeah, right, we, right, right, I mean, yeah. we were all over playing two shows a night, and so we had plenty of time to throw some different ideas around. I think uh, one of the track that's on there is, is is Pump. That's Jeff Beck's Pump. Yeah, and it's a simply amazing, amazing track. But uh, the, these these songs, I mean, when you when you play them, um, you have two guitar soloists that are there, you know, in, in the spotlight. Uh-huh. And you know, and there you have the band. You know, you have you know Rick Jackson, and you have you and Greg, uh, sort of laying down the groove and so forth. I mean, uh, foundationally, that that's what you were there for is just to create the foundation for these guys to do their stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is fun. I mean, that's kind of where I prefer to be is just in the background. And I always hated coming out front trying to play a solo. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not really a soloist. I I guess I have a a couple of licks that I can play, but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) I prefer to just kind of hang back and and let somebody else do it. So. Uh, collectively, I mean, it won everybody there uh, pretty much a, a Grammy for the Best Pop Instrumental Album. Yeah, and uh, you know, I... I, uh, the night the Grammys were on, I was I went to church, you know, and had the family, and we're bringing the kids in, and and I I turn the TV on right as we walk in the door, <laughs> and uh, and I see those guys standing up there and for best you know pop instrumental whatever it was, yeah, uh, Larry Carlton and and Steve Lukather, and, <laughs> yeah. and the phone immediately rang off the hook. Oh, that Chris, you got a Grammy. <laughs> <laughs> was that is that your first Grammy? Uh, you know. Uh, yeah, I think it's the first one that I've really paid attention to because it was it was me on the yeah. record. Right, I mean, right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. You're you play live and and the whole record is you. I mean, I, I may have been on other projects that have gotten Grammys, but sure. you know you you kind of share the the bass chair with a few different guys. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, you don't think about it as much, but. Right. You mentioned a second ago that you know for that particular performance, half of the band was uh, was handpicked by Larry Carlton, and the other you know half was picked by Luke. And uh, tell me about your relationship with Larry Carlton. How far does it go back, and and how did you guys hook up yeah, originally? Well, uh, Larry moved out to Nashville here to be closer to his kids. His kids were out here uh, in L.A. I think was you know he was kind of getting out of the session scene. He wanted to go out and and play. Um, yeah. and not just be a session guy. Right, right. And his wife, Michelle, is huge into horses, and, you know, they've got these prize-winning horses, and, and of course, it's. I would imagine it's hard to buy some land and to have horses in L.A. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, he moved out here, and a mutual friend of ours, drummer, said, hey, I met Larry, and he's looking for guys that he can play with that are out here as opposed to flying guys from L.A. every time he goes to somewhere to play you know yeah and so we got together um <laughs> we got together one afternoon at sir i think and and uh 
and played is me and J.D. Blair and plays with Shania Twain and, mm-hmm. and uh, Dane Bryant, mm. who's a keyboard player, great keyboard player from uh, Clint Black's band. Okay. And we've played together before. And so we all kind of went in thinking, wow, we're going to play with Larry Carlton. We're just going to go for it. And we did. And so a couple weeks later, you know, on the caller ID, it says Larry Carlton. And my wife gets the phone and she goes, Chris, it's Larry Carlton. And I was like, oh, get out of town, you know. And, and uh, sure enough, he called and wanted me to sub on a couple of dates. And it was six years later that, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I had been, you know, I'd been subbing for him for six years. So sure. That's awesome. You've worked on a couple of his, of his albums. I think there was uh, uh, Deep Into It. I think you, you played um, in, on that album. Yeah. And, uh, and really laid some nice uh, you know, bass lines. I thought thanks, they were really key, thanks. really nice. That was a fun one, too. Yeah. And lots of great players on that, and, you know, Chris Potter and Billy Kilson and mm-hmm. Ricky Peterson. and I just saw Billy Kilson perform with uh, Chris Bodie uh, a while back, and, oh, my God, he's an amazing drummer. Yeah. yeah. I, I was just totally blown away by him. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to get him on the show. I've, I've contacted him a couple times, and uh, I need to be more persistent because he'd, <laughs> <laughs> he'd be a great interview. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's great. And, man, we just have fun playing. Because he's so dynamic and mm-hmm. just electric when he plays. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, I've heard uh, people describe your playing as really soulful, and and listening to some of the tracks that you've been on, uh, I, I don't <laughs> contend that issue at all. <laughs> but there's uh, probably not more of a soulful artist than Michael McDonald, and and uh, you've been able to work with him on a couple projects. I think you were on the Blue Obsessions uh, album. Yeah. And, uh, and t- can you talk to us a little bit about uh, you know playing and working with? With Michael McDonald a little bit. Yeah, he, man, the nicest guy in the world. Yeah, And, yeah. Uh, you know, I just kind of walked in, and and he's real unassuming, and, and, you know, you just, I mean, you recognize him, and then when he starts to sing, that's when you go, oh, my gosh, that's <laughs> the guy, you know, because everybody imitates his voice, you know. <laughs> or tries to. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, so... Yeah, we just, we were hanging out and, and, you know, he's showing us the tune that he wanted to do. And, and man, the uh, Build Upon It, I think, is one of the tracks that okay. just, man, the studio, I thought the walls were going to come down because it was just, we were just going for it. Right. You know, and the sound was great and the B3 and we all played together at the same time. So Really? And, I you know, I thought, uh, I thought those were demos. <laughs> and then somebody, you know, somebody called me later and goes, "No, those those are we're bumping those up to master because that was a slamming track." So right. you know, so uh, gotta love that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man! Regarding um, some of the work you've done with him and on on Blue Obsession, a couple of people that were actually playing on the, on that album along with you, they've been past guests. Uh, you know, Chris Rodriguez yeah. and yeah. David Pack, and I believe even Tommy Sims. I think he did some production on yeah. on the album. And I, I've heard that track, and you're right. It does bounce you off the walls. That that must have been really a fun time, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All we need is Michael McDonald, and we get these other guests together, and we could have a Blue Obsession uh, <laughs> chat. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to switch gears uh, just away from music just for a minute. And uh, kind of on a more serious topic, you know, in 1998 on your website, you described that you woke up with a pain in your neck one morning, and that ended up being a, a broken vertebrae. And I guess that was caused by uh, multiple myeloma, which, you know, I guess causes the bones to become, you know, very brittle. Yeah. And I think you'd said on your site that it's really more common in people that are much older. And, and uh, you know, that I'm, I'm sure that had to be a really difficult time for you and your family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it was uh, because it, it, I mean, it just came right out of the blue. Yeah. You know, and, and I could feel the bone kind of poking. It wasn't right in my neck, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, so I thought, well, let me go to a, get a massage and go to a chiropractor and, and just try to shake it off, you know. Mm-hmm. And it never happened. So I finally went and got an MRI and then saw that it was a broken bone. And my primary doctor was like, well, okay, uh, you shouldn't be walking. You, you know. Mm, wow. and, and really not a people person. So he didn't, he didn't present it to me like, like, okay, Chris, we're going to take care of this. And no, no sugar cutting, right? Yeah, he was Just like, light it out there. You, sh- you should be paralyzed right now. You, uh, you know. Wow. Yeah, it turned out to be multiple myeloma, and uh, I was thirty. So, I mean, you think, well, okay, I could just sit here and wait for it to take me out, or yeah, sure. I can fight it, and which is what I decided to do. Yeah. You know, you you set your mind to this thing is not going to take me out because I'm. I'm not done here yet. Right. So you you just, you know, you set your mind like that and you you get in the Bible and you you find those those scriptures that that tell you that you're healed and that God is going to take care of you and your family and and mm-hmm. you just stand on those and and you know, it was shortly after I had gone through like 2 weeks of tests and they were trying to figure out what it was and my phone rang. And uh, my wife and I were laying in bed really early Monday morning. The phone rang, and and I was thinking, because my wife at that time, every once in a while she'd substitute teach, and so they'd call really early in the morning. Right, sure. So, uh, you know, we didn't answer it the first time, and and I thought, oh, it's probably just a school. And then I thought, well, wait a minute, my doctor's supposed to call and give me these, you know, results. And so I got up, and sure enough, it said neurosurgeon on the, the ID, and so I answered it, and and he said, well, Chris, we think we think we're for sure that it's uh, cancer and we'll start treatments. And have you guys ever seen that far side cartoon where it says what your dog hears and, and <laughs> what you're saying? And yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's like your dog hears his name and Rover, blah, 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 blah. And, and so, <laughs> right, right, right. so after he said, Chris, we think you have cancer, it was like blah, 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 blah. Yeah, and, right. and he said all this stuff and then he goes, are you okay? And I said, well... Yeah, and then hung up the phone, and, you know, of course you start crying, and my wife knew from just how I was acting that, you know. And uh, my daughter was two, and she came in and gave me a hug, and she was trying to figure out what was going on. And But then right, right, you know, just a few minutes after that, people talk about how the Lord gave them a vision, and, and but I got a vision of me speaking to a classroom full of people uh, just wearing a pair of jeans and, and a collared shirt, you know. I don't know why a collared shirt, but, mm-hmm. you know, I was talking to these people about surviving cancer. So that's been 10 years ago. Yeah. So. yeah. I'm sure as much as you and your family are, we're, we're really happy that uh, you're able to uh, kick cancer and, and get it out of your system and, and, and everything's good. That's, that's great to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. I'm going to go way back. You, you know, you started playing piano when you were very young, I guess, like back in the second grade. And you mentioned on your website that you weren't too fond of the piano, but that you continued <laughs> playing it for several years. And yeah. I guess, was that your, your parents' idea? Or did they push you into the piano? Or, or how did that all happen? Yeah, it was, I mean, all my brothers and sister played. And it was like, you're going to take piano lessons, if, whether you like it or not. <laughs> and And it was that kind of thing. And I hated it, but... My oldest brother, 
who's 10 years older than me, had uh, Stevie Wonder's talking book record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I almost said CD, but it was, <laughs> it was vinyl. So, and, uh, and he was like, yeah, that, that clavinet thing, superstition, that's, you know, that's a keyboard. And I thought, man... I, you know, I got to learn how to, I, that's what I want to do. Yeah, I don't want to exactly. play piano, I want to play yeah. clavinet. Yeah. But, you know, you go through that thing where, man, I, I don't want to wait to get that good. I I just want to be playing that stuff. And, you know, that can't happen. So, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I want to be like Stevie now. Yeah, I want to play that now. <laughs> so when did you discover the bass? I mean, when, when were you introduced to that instrument? Uh, what caught uh, your attention? You know, uh, it really wasn't anything in particular, but it was yeah. uh, my next-door neighbor played guitar, and my neighbor across the street played guitar. Mm-hmm. And the neighbor across the street had a rock band, had this huge, I mean, they were they were like ACDC. I mean, they were huge, you know. Um, <laughs> the bass player had two two acoustic 360 amps and and the drummer had this big nine piece whatever it was and, and a monstrosity and he, in the garage <laughs> yeah it was it was crazy and the guitar player that my neighbor he had a he had a Marshall half stack holy cow and that was like i unbelievable you know so you know those two guys played guitar and then there was a, a girl down the block that played drums and then another girl down the block that played piano and okay. i thought you know if i got a bass we could have a band. Cha-ching. <laughs> and so I was so gung-ho on getting a bass, and, uh, you know, they tried to talk me out of it, and, and uh, they're like, dude, the bass player always stands in the back, never plays any solos, <laughs> never gets any girls, you know, <laughs> you don't want to play bass. <laughs> and uh, I thought, man, but we can be a band, you know, and sure enough, you know, everybody quit, and I got a bass, and, <laughs> and I kept playing, but, you know. <laughs> Hey, that girl that played drums down the street, that wasn't Yvette Pryor, was it? No, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah. Man, she's a, she's girl, incredible. Yes, man. Oh. <laughs> That's a whole other topic. Be and she'd be famous now. But. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got to get her on the show, too, by the way. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, you know, you'd been playing the bass then since you were 10 years old. And so how far did you extend your education of music and the bass in particular? Did you, yeah. did you study in college or take private lessons or all of the above? Yeah, um, I went to a. Uh, uh, I was going to go to University of Portland in Oregon for music business, and but I, you know, I did take private lessons in high school for a little while. And my my teacher was was big on theory, mm-hmm. which was great, and you know, kind of tied it into bass, and and so I did that whole deal, you know, throughout high school for a couple years at least. Then the Band leader Larry McVeigh, great piano player, arranger, used to play with uh, Stan Kenton's band way mm. back in the day. Wow. Um, was the band leader at Mount Hood Community College. Wow. And uh, he called me and said, Chris, you know, you don't need to go to one of those big colleges. You need to come here, play some bass, you know, and then decide after you play here for a couple of years. And I'll pay for the whole thing. And I thought, well, you know that sounds pretty good, because they have you know they have the Mount Hood Jazz Festival every year. Oh right, right. And uh, they had a great program, and so uh, so that's what I decided to do. And and of course met my wife there, and and uh, played for a couple of years, and and played classical bass for a while, and 
that's where I learned how to play upright. And mm-hmm. so uh, it was, you know, I had a great time there. So after, you know, a few years in Portland, you, you pretty much just moved the whole uh, the whole show to Tennessee, right? I mean, for uh, I mean, you you packed up and ended yeah. up in Nashville. I was I was in a, a Christian rock band called Versus, uh-huh. and and I mean we we were doing great out in Portland. We'd we'd uh, regionally we'd go down to California and play shows, and we'd go over to Denver and play shows, and up into Seattle and and everything. I mean, it was great. We had it was a well oiled machine. And uh, we had just finished our uh, second record, I think it was, and there was a contest. The 700 Club and Star Song Records decided to have this contest, like a star search kind of thing. Okay. And uh, so we're like, well, yeah, I mean, it only cost $25 to enter, and we just finished our record, we just got new pictures, all we got to do is pop all this stuff in an envelope and send it to them. <laughs> so we did, <laughs> and sure enough, they call us back and... and Hey, we want you to come out and play, and and so we ended up winning this contest, and we won this record deal. Nice. And uh, <laughs> we're all goofy, just wanting to play, just have fun. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it's real. We're like, we got a record deal, and now we got to do something. So <laughs> we, <laughs> you know, we just go and play and and play at camps and and minister to kids and hang out with teenagers and that was our thing you know we didn't have fun doing it and uh and it was good music i mean it was like a funky rock band kind of like the time and prince and really that kind of thing nice that's interesting yeah really cool stuff you know i enjoyed playing it you know now we thought man we should move to nashville and get closer to the record label and get more attention and and kind of go to the next level you know and yeah and sure enough, it was just one of those, it's it's hard. So, you know, to try and make it as a six-member band in a new city with, you know, all our following was on the West Coast. And, right. And really didn't know where to put us because, you know, where do you put a six-member band that's playing funky rock, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when there was a whole bunch of rock, just straight-up rock bands out there, you know. Yeah. So it turns out we... We kind of broke up, and and uh, most of the guys moved back to the West Coast, and and we decided to stay here. My wife and I, Lisa, who kind of keeps my head on straight all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I understand one of your early gigs in Nashville was not necessarily a music gig; rather, you modeled for Fruit of the Loom. <laughs> you, you gotta, no way! You got to tell us a little oh, about man. this. Where did you find that one? I didn't even find that. that, that. <laughs> See, yeah. see, Chris, we do our research on you, okay? Oh, I didn't even know that. Omar. Okay, fess up now. Here, I, I didn't never, I never heard this before. <laughs> oh, that is was that true? the funniest thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you, when you get out here to Nashville or anywhere, really, I guess you you work temp jobs mm-hmm. just to you know kind of pay bills and keep food on your table. And uh, <laughs> or fruit? You mean fruit on the table? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so i was working at this bookstore my it was one of those rare times where my wife and i both were working at the same place so um she was out front working at this bookstore and i was in the back and i was you know putting books on shelves and and i'm standing there and this lady is looking at me i could feel this lady looking at me uh-huh. and i turn around and i i look at her and i will say hi and she says hi, and then she leaves. 
and then she comes back and she says, well, have you, have you ever modeled before? And I said, well, no. So she says, well, I've got this modeling gig, and it pays this much, and, and you know, at that time, paid like 60 bucks an hour, and I thought, you know, that was like I hit the lottery. Yeah, right. At that That's time, you know, working a temp job and then going <laughs> to 60 bucks an hour. But uh, she said, yeah, it's in Bowling Green, Kentucky. It's about an hour from here. And, you know, it's for Fruit of the Loom. And she gave me all this information, and I was writing it down. And so after, she goes, okay, and I'll see you there about 10 o'clock. And she leaves. And I'm looking at this piece of paper, and I'm thinking, Fruit of the Loom. Okay. Obviously, my size, they probably have, you know, sweats or T-shirts or something. I know they're not going to have me model underwear. <laughs> and sure enough, man, we get up there, and my wife is in tears, cracking up, because there's like 12 or 15 guys sitting around, all different sizes, ages, old guys, young guys, and and these three beautiful business, you know, business suit women, you know, with the glasses and the hair up, and they come walking in with this huge box of underwear. And they're throwing, okay, what size are you, what size are you, and throwing underwear at us. And uh, <laughs> it was crazy. Holy it was a, it was a fitting session is what it was. They I were see. trying out this new uh, fabric or, you know, elastic waistband or something. Right. But you've gotten used to that whole pe- women throwing their underwear like, up on the stage. I know. It's, uh, <laughs> that was like an early start. that line from uh, that movie, Stripes? Well, chicks dig me. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's funny. So that was your official gig out of Nashville. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was. Well, tell us, what was your like first gig, say a session gig in Nashville? Uh, wow, my first session. Uh a buddy of mine, Scott Williamson, a drum, great drummer here, um, and producer. He he actually was kind of the the one that talked me into moving here, and and uh, you know along with the band. And he was really one of the guys. And he said, "Okay, let me know when you're going to be out here because I'll try and I'll try and book a session so you can get on it." And he actually wrote one of the charts that he wrote uh, was a number chart. Because they have the big Nashville number system, which is supposed to be, you know, this big deal. And right. Mm-hmm. Supposed to scare everybody away, and it's it's probably the easiest, <laughs> the easiest thing. You know, I don't know why everybody's not doing it, but so he, yeah. I mean, I got to town, and then the next day, I think I was in the studio with him, uh, doing a project. I, of course, I can't remember who it was for, but yeah. but. Uh, did that and and that was my first session. Mm-hmm. Um, my my first big gig um, was Take Six. Oh yeah, uh, and Mark the, I mean that you just wow. Those guys are phenomenal. Oh man! I, the first time I saw them perform was uh, on the Grammys. Uh, yeah, I just I was actually in college at the time, and I was you know watching the Grammys in my dorm room and. They came on and it just blew me away. And the very next day, I went out and bought their CD. I just, I just thought they were amazing. Oh yeah, yeah, and and nice guys and and yeah, it's you know you're in rehearsal with them and and you just think, wow, they really don't need us, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but we're here, so we have to play. So 
Hey, uh, you've um, you mentioned a while ago. I think we mentioned Stevie Wonder was a, just a, an idol, you know, for er- really everybody just growing up. But you you tell a story on your website that's really really funny. It's neat about you meeting him the first time, and uh, tell us a little bit about that experience. I think our audience is going to really dig that. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> I, I was uh, I was playing with Kirk Whalum. Yeah. And uh, in fact, man, Kirk called me last night. I, he's um, I can't. He's got a gig this weekend that I can't do. Um, and it's a it's a Bob James tribute. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, so I'm playing with Kirk, and it's one of those uh, all-star bands. I mean, everybody, you know, and uh, Paul Jackson Jr. and Jeez. just ridiculous amounts of players. Oh, yeah. And this guy comes walking in to the top of the stairs, and there it was a bunch of tables. It was like a benefit thing, and, yeah. and he, he had braids and really tall. I didn't realize Stevie was as tall as he is. Hmm. And uh, he's got this big entourage around him, and I'm thinking, man, that looks like Stevie Wonder. You know, I'm playing, reading charts, and looking, and I turn around to the drummer, and I go, man, I think that's Stevie Wonder up there, you know, and I'm kind of pointing, and and uh, and he goes, it is. And so, <laughs> you know, we're in the middle of the song, and uh, and so then, you know, you start digging in, and, and Grooving, hoping that he's grooving. You know, you're looking at him and thinking, <laughs> is he doing that head thing? And you know, and uh, and sure enough, man, you. Lo- I looked up, like we finished that song, and we're going to start the second tune. And I look up, and he's not there. <laughs> and I'm thinking, man, what happened? Did were we that bad? And uh, and the only way to get on stage was right next to my bass amp. So Kirk goes into this big deal about, man, I worked with this guy recently, and, and we just had a great time, and blah, 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 and, and I'd like to introduce to you. And right then, you could hear the crowd just go, ah, and it was Stevie standing right next to my bass hand. <laughs> and, and it was, I mean, it was like one of, you know, you know those old old videos of where girls see the Beatles, yeah, exactly. and they're just, oh, they yeah, can't yeah. even think straight they're just crying (laughs) (laughs) that's what i felt like man i was just i mean he's standing right there and you know he's got his harmonica and and i'm i just like i couldn't think (laughs) i was like oh my gosh that is stevie wonder because you you know you i'd stay up too late watching him on the grammys and seeing what he was going to wear and seeing what song he was going to play and and uh sure enough he sat in and just Played the snot out of this solo uh, tune, and then and then sang, and man, he sang too. Oh yeah, oh, just God. just ridiculous. And then Billy Preston gets up and sits <laughs> in on the B three. Oh my goodness! And man, you're just, you're just you know, <laughs> I'm in heaven. You know? Yeah, Jeez. yeah. You're like, man, what am I doing here? That's amazing. Can we so, can we find that on YouTube anywhere? Yeah, really? <laughs> no, Did anybody get video of that? Jeez, uh, that would be cool. That would oh, be very cool. Man, what well, a lifetime! Well, obviously, you, you've you then performed with him at that particular time period. But did you ever have a chance to to record with him? No, not with Steve. No, okay. No, didn't know how far your you know, the relationship went there. So, no, um, you know, hanging out with Take Six, there's a lot of guys that you run into, uh-huh. um, and you know, and hanging out with Larry too. Right, uh, right, right. But uh, um, you know, I've just met some of the greatest musicians where you just are, you know, uh, Quincy Jones, and uh, we were playing the House of Blues um, with Take Six, and I I think that's 
I've got a video of that, so there's there must be a video of some of that floating around somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quite a while ago. Yeah. But uh, Sheila E sat in. Uh, uh, David Foster sat in that night. Jeez. Um, Tony Braxton. Uh, Just a bunch of B-listers. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> nobody. <laughs> peons, nobody peons. really. <laughs> but I, I remember, uh, I remember walking out of the dressing room. And, you know, you walk out of a dressing room and you just kind of leave and, and look down the hall and, and walk the way that you're walking. And I saw Quincy walking towards the dressing room. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, okay. So I turned around. <laughs> you know, I let him walk in, pretended like, oh, no big deal, and <laughs> let him walk in. And then I turned right around and walked right back in and, and met him. And uh, so that was, you know, that was great. Very cool. Um, Met Abraham Laboriel. Oh wow! Through those guys, yeah, and uh, such a great guy. Yeah, just, just. And his I son mean, is just an amazing. He's really developed as is a, a really a list uh, drummer too. Yeah, I mean, he's he's just he was you know played with McCartney. He's played with oh uh, man, you know scores of people now. He's just coming into his own. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I, I met uh, Abe Senior, but Abe Junior. Uh, actually walked my wife, Chester Thompson's son, Akeel. Um, Abe Jr. was at his wedding uh-huh. and walked my wife down the aisle, you know. And, <laughs> and my wife said, yeah, you know, she called me. I was on the road somewhere, and she called and said, oh, the wedding was great. And this guy, Abe Laboriel, I've heard you say his name before. <laughs> his, his son, you know, and I was like, oh, yeah, no problem. He just, you know, he just plays drums for Paul McCartney and, <laughs> He's a, he's a nobody, honey. Everybody, you know. <laughs> like, honey, maybe we should get his number and and. <laughs> Gee, whiz. very cool. Oh yeah, I want to you know let everybody know that they can visit you on on your website. Uh, is it uh, ckbase.com, dot com? Right? Yeah, ckbase ckbase dot com. And and on your site, you have basically a lot of neat samples of of work that you've worked on over the years. Uh, the live in Osaka, a couple cuts there, Michael McDonald pieces. But what's even cooler is on your site, and this is very 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 cool. You've also developed a few bass loops that anyone can go on and and listen to the grooves and download if they wish, and even if they want to, they can you know pay for the for the loops you know on a donation basis or whatever. I thought that was really really cool. Well, you know, I, I got a new Mac and and it had GarageBand on it, mm-hmm. and I thought you know what I and and the bass loops in GarageBand are are you know they're decent they're cool and yeah. and but I thought man I could do I could do some bass loops. And just you know, put them on the site, and sure. and eventually, you know, you, of course, you start thinking huge when you're, you know, when you first get a new toy, you're like, oh, and then I can, <laughs> I can tour the world, and you know, <laughs> but uh, loop the world. <laughs> yeah, I thought, man, I could, I could do some loops, and then maybe do a whole CD of loops and sell them, and yeah, I never got that far, but yeah. but yeah, I put some loops on my site just for fun. Well, it's, it's it's very interesting. I mean, I, I mean, just the business alone on what you're talking about right there about, you know, uh, sampling. You're you're playing and putting loops. I mean, at this stage, everyone's doing it. Drummers, bassists, guitarists. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you probably know people that you've played with that are they're in that business too. Is that true? Oh yeah. There's there's uh, I mean, everybody. It seems like everybody in Nashville. I mean, for a while, every other house had some kind of recording gear in it. ADATs hmm. or Right. You know, whatever. But now everybody's got a laptop and a firebox or some kind of interface, and they're doing tracks on airplanes and, 
you know, and of course all the drummers have uh, stuff in their house. They're, they've got a kit that's already mic'd up and, and a room that's ready to go, you know. So, right. so I mean, uh, to the point where I was going with that is, you know, technology has come full circle. You know, you can, you know, rec- replicate yourself on a on a loop and it is you playing. Uh, it is uh, John Patitucci playing. It is, yeah. it is Larry Carlton playing. And as these tools come out and they go to the public market, anyone can pick these up. What is – I guess there's the good and bad. There's the business side of profiting and so forth. But is there a downside to this? I mean give, give us a big picture of, of looping and sampling and the access to it. I mean what, what's your take on it? Wow. That's, that's heavy. Uh, it doesn't bug me that somebody would grab some of these loops. I mean and I guess you can – I'm not that deep into it, but yeah. you could grab these loops. I had a friend of mine do it actually once. He grabbed one of my loops and put it in Reason and reconfigured the whole thing. Yeah. And so it sounded like a whole different bass line. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but it was me playing. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so, <laughs> so if Sting did it and made a million dollars with, with me playing bass and, and you know, Right. And didn't want to shoot me a hundred dollars for it, you know. <laughs> that would that would kind of hurt, but right. that's life that's, these days, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's that's my problem for putting it up there for free. But a buddy of mine let me hear some John Bonham hmm. uh, tracks. They're floating around. They're MP3s of of you can slightly hear the rest of the band, the rest of Led Zeppelin playing. Really, but. The drums are like way up front, yeah. <laughs> and so and it to the point where it's like, man, you could grab like four bars, and they're and it, they sound great, yeah, you know, because they're just huge and it's John Bonham, and you know, mm-hmm. but you could grab them and loop them and and have a tune, yeah, and it's John Bonham playing on your track, you know, and uh, so I I don't know, I mean I, I think when it's that recognizable, I mean somebody's gonna go, man, I know that drum beat from that song, then I think you're getting into some, some problems. Yeah, but yeah. when it's just me, <laughs> that's okay. Well, hey, let's let's talk about these four loops that are on your, your site yeah, really. for a second. And uh, I've actually got them queued up here. And okay. if you don't mind, we'll play those. And we'll play each one. And maybe you can talk us through, you know, uh, each one of these loops and tell us, you know, Little something about them, how you might use them, or, or, or what style we're listening to. So, okay. here, here's the first one. I'll play it, and then we can chat about it. There we go. Wow, just a. Uh, I think that one's an E, uh-huh. and uh, just one of those grooves that that uh, could you could throw it anywhere, really. Yeah. Um, real simple. Uh, kind of E minorish, uh, flat seven, flat three, kind of that kind of deal. Yeah. Um, and I tend to play a lot of dead notes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you mean by that for our audience? What what? Uh... Well, a lot of notes that are. It helps me keep time. Okay. Actually, so mm-hmm. so you hear those little that kind of thing in between the actual notes. Yeah, your built-in you know metronome for you. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's let's play that one again, Rick, and I want to hear uh, so we can hear those uh, the sort of little invisible notes there that uh, Chris uses uh, um, for rhythm. Okay. Let's hear that again. Here it comes. They're very slight. Yeah. 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 And it sounds sounds 
kind of like I needed to clip my fingernails too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm not buying that loop. <laughs> yeah, me neither. <laughs> well, I can hear those nails. <laughs> oh, man. Let's go to the next one. It's a loop. I think you have a groove in the in the key of C. Here we go. Okay. A little funkier. Yeah. Man, that faster. I think I I kind of grabbed that idea from a, a Jocko uh, uh, off of the Jocko record, Jocko Pastorius Interesting. solo record, and I can't remember the tune, but I he does the similar that of that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, octave flat seven, octave flat seven. That kind of that kind of thing. Gotcha. On on these two uh, loops that we've just heard, are these are you playing the same instrument, the same bass, or not? Yeah. Okay. And if I remember right, I think it was one of those. Uh, you know, the guy was building um, Shane. The guy was building the site with. He he said, "Man, you gotta you ought to do it. It'd be great." Yeah. And it was like, uh, "Okay." So I I think I just played him. You know, like within ten minutes, just like yeah. threw a bunch of ideas out there and. Grab the best little portions and put them up there. Yeah, here's a third uh, loop. It's the tempo is a little faster. It's, it's at uh, 130 uh, beats per minute, and it's also in G. So let's see. Listen to this one. This one. Oh, <laughs> now we're getting dirty here. Going back to the rock and roll. <laughs> what uh, what kind of uh, you know what what kind of uh, application would you use this type of uh, technique in the sound, Chris? Uh, man, nowadays, you know, uh, with country yeah, the way good. it is, mm-hmm. you know, it's basically a, yeah. a rock or pop band with with fiddle or steel guitar. But right, but yeah, probably a rock band. I I tend to play well. I I, I like to play pretty spacious, but. There are times when you can get away with playing busy, like the the loop before that. Yeah, you know you can kind of do the Jocko thing, and and but you got to make sure your time is together. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can't just do it to be doing it. Right. At what point does the bass groove become muddy? Uh, wow. Too much I, happening in it, or what? Uh, bad rhythm. Yeah, or? you know if if I, I go into a situation where I know the drummer is going to play solid, and you realize that. And you kind of branch out, and you you realize what you can get away with as a bass player. Hmm. If you're going to have to play drums and bass at the same time, no, or if you it. can just play the bass and enjoy and trust that the drummer's going to land on the one when he's supposed to land on the one without throwing in all kinds of other stuff. Are you saying that when you have a, a, a drummer that's really bad, your your work's uh, <laughs> you have to do a lot more work? Yeah, okay. I, I, uh, that makes for a long night. When you... <laughs> um, and you know we've all had them. So, yeah, sure. uh, but man, I no, I, I am the bad drummer. So <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> he is a percussionist, by the way. Oh man, well, you can use that term pretty lightly. <laughs> uh, there are times when you just play as simple as you can, and you know it depends on the tune, also. Like uh, in a band where you're improvisational, say like a Larry Carlton type band, where you're able to establish a groove and then take it anywhere you want to go, because the tune may last for 
seven, ten minutes. Sure, right, right. And it's those kind of tunes where you're kind of you're eyeing the drummer and going, okay, what? How far are you going to go out? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. where? What is my job going to be? Yeah. You know. And for example, playing with Billy Kilson, Billy will take it to Mars, and you know, and he's still in time. Right. But you're like, okay, when you go. When you're in outer space, I'm just going to keep it right here. And uh, when you come back, then I'll go somewhere. And and so we had that kind of relationship. That is cool. Um, You know, but then playing in a country band, your whole mindset changes where you're just playing simple and you're out of the way. And and that's that's the role of the bass player. So. Mm -hmm. Well we, well, we have one more uh, uh, loop. It's a f- uh, loop number four. It's in G, and it's at uh, the tempo is at ninety six. So let's listen to this one. Hmm, that's cool. That's uh, kind of has a little shuffle to it, I think. And yeah. I think that was kind of inspired by uh, Michelle Indiglio Cello. Really. Uh, she does a lot of that staccato uh, kind of thing in her playing. Right. Uh, I played in a, a band once that opened for her here in Nashville, and man, she just man, that band is funky. Really? <laughs> so they just they just don't mess around. Yeah. And she just takes it to a whole other level when she even you know because she didn't. Uh, David Dyson was playing mm-hmm. with her, and uh, and the band sounded great. And then she would pick up a bass and like start a tune or just pick up a bass just to play for a while. And uh, it would just go to a whole nother level just from her uh, attitude towards playing bass. You know? mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Like Chris, you mentioned a little while ago that you, um, uh, you're currently working with Laurie Morgan. Uh, what other kinds of projects are you working on right now and, and what kinds of things uh, do you foresee in the next few months coming yeah. out for you? Well, um, it's as it's getting closer to Christmas and everybody's starting to kind of uh, wind down. You know, Nashville kind of slows down for Christmas and everybody kind of mellows out. But uh, like I said, everybody's got recording gear. You know, I've got neighbors that, hey, I need a microphone. You know, you run down the street and, you know. And, uh, Only imagine <laughs> Like you stand Only in the backyard that. and hand it over the fence, you know. <laughs> Yeah, not you knock uh, on your neighbor's um, door. Can I borrow a cup of sugar? Oh, and right. maybe a AKG four fourteen, please. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, so yeah, there's there's uh, I'm doing a bunch of custom records for because everybody you know there's a ton of people that come to town and and wanna I want to go to Nashville and and do a record and and that's a that's a lot of my work right now is is people coming to town and needing new demos and, and new custom records for right. their projects. and, and uh, But then I do a lot of other stuff. Uh, I just did a project with Desmond Child, uh, Ace Young, the American Idol. Oh, that's, yeah, right. Yeah. that's right, that's right, that's that name. Um, great tunes. And we had a great time in the studio. It was just uh, Marcus Finney, drummer, and I, just pounding away on these uh, these rock tunes and... Desmond was in the in the control room and saying, "I want it to sound angry," and so <laughs> so we played again. And, okay. and Marcus, oh man, it was just blisters and snare drums everywhere and broken sticks everywhere. And, and uh, <laughs> but we had a great time. That's cool. Yeah. 
Well, hey, Chris, thanks so much for joining us on Inside Music Cast. We really appreciate your time. Man, thanks for having me. We've enjoyed yeah. every minute, man. And uh, keep in touch, and you know, maybe we can do this again in the future and catch up. Yeah, definitely. All right. All right. Thank All you. All righty. Thanks again. Thank you. All right, bye. All right, bye. Special thanks to Chris Kent for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Our goal is to bring you a new podcast once every other week. So be sure to check your podcast downloads for the next episode of Inside Music Cast. If you have a question or a suggestion for the show, please drop us an email at input at insidemusiccast.com. That's input at insidemusiccast.com with one C. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Stay subscribed to Inside Music Cast, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for downloading Inside Music Cast, the podcast devoted to the musicians, fans, and the people who make the music business happen. Your subscription is appreciated, so be sure to check your podcatcher for our next episode. You can also visit InsideMusicCast.com for additional content. If you'd like to contact us via email, the address is input at InsideMusicCast.com. <laughs>